Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our 5-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & and more. Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and today we're going to talk a lot about how some of the biggest trade deadline acquisitions are faring. Before we get into that, just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can find us this year on iTunes, so we'd love it if you subscribe there, downloaded some episodes, left some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we are also being hosted. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 8-11. Select styles excludes in-store clearance this year on fan rag sports so check them out on twitter at fan rag sports and for their nba content at fan rag nba zach harper formerly of cbs sports is writing for us through the end of the year he's been pumping out a lot of great content including one article that we'll talk about a little bit later so again check out fan rag sports for some great nba stuff with all of that said I'm joined today, as always, by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? Hey, Brian. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's going well. Yeah. I had ice cream for dinner, so I'm good. There you go. That's mm. a way to be an adult. That's the way. <laughs> yeah, you can make your own decisions, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I slept until 11 today, so I really can't <laughs> criticize anyone's adulting. <laughs> We're so mature. <laughs> yeah. I, I might... Like, I, there might be something seriously wrong with me. I, I might need to go to a doctor. We'll see. <laughs> Until then, uh, let's talk about some of the big trade deadline hauls, because it's been about two weeks since the trade deadline, so still somewhat of a small sample size, but it, at least it's not only three games. Uh, we're going to talk about five in particular. The first one, the obvious one, the biggest one since the trade deadline, DeMarcus Cousins with the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I think it's safe to say that his individual impact has not 
changed all that much in terms of what he's been doing with the Pellies versus the Kings. He's averaging 22.1 points on 42.5% shooting, uh, more than 13 rebounds, almost four assists, uh, more than a steal and a block per game. That said, he is a minus 40 during his time on the court, and the Pelicans are only 1-6 in in games he's played, with their only win coming against the Los Angeles Lakers, who have every reason to lose every game (laughs) from now until the end of the season. So, Sarah, I'm going to start with you on this one. Is it too early to be seriously concerned about the boogie-brow tandem, or are there legitimate reasons to panic? I mean, I feel like it's possible to answer that, that it's too early to be seriously concerned, but there also are legitimate reasons to be concerned. Um, <laughs> That's fair. I still think that, that you know, Boogie's going to mesh fine um, with AD. I do think, you know, there's no reason to expect that they would have meshed completely this quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, Boogie's going to put up his numbers. It's more about kind of the two of them learning where the other one's going to be they've they've had some issues with that so far you know getting just getting to know where your teammate is going to be um they need some new personnel around them some shooters like we've talked about um but then you know boogie is still boogie you know he's gonna put up the all-star caliber numbers but you know the effort comes and goes on the other end of the floor um so those are going to be the concerns and that even as much as it is a question about his future with the the Pelicans, it's just the question I think that will define his career. Is he going to be this all-star caliber guy who, you know, gets these numbers and that's it? Or, you know, is he going to change his approach to the game a little bit and focus more on the finer details and the effort plays and the unglamorous parts of the game? Uh, and that really will will define the rest of his career, in my opinion. Yeah. That's that's a very fair reason to take. Uh, Mort, how are you feeling about Boogie and Brow? Do you, are you equally non-panicked as Sarah, or do you think there's a little bit more uh, reason for concern now that you've seen this in action for a couple games? Well, I'm going to be boring and just just, just agree <laughs> with Sarah, I should say, that's because fair. look, look, he's a high volume shooter or a high volume scorer. It's never easy to integrate someone like that in the middle of the season he's not had a full training camp with them you know it's there's an adjustment period davis is essentially was essentially alone uh up front doing all the damage himself and now he has the league's best center alongside him who's gonna take a whole bunch of shots both inside outside who also gets to the line and rebounds a lot outside of his area so they they, they are in they, they need a little tune-up together they need to get into the film room, I think, and just kind of hash things out, look at it and see, oh, you need to be there and I need to be there. How can we mesh better? So that comes in time. Um, the one in six record doesn't concern me at all. Like the record at all, it really doesn't matter to me because they do, they they just switch up their entire team. Uh, as Sarah also alluded to, they need shooters. Shooters win in this league. There's no longer a body heel right, right outside <laughs> waiting for them. So... They are in need of of more wing depth, and that will hopefully come. Kind of weird that they decided to waive Omri Caspi, though, because he would have fit in beautifully there. But, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, uh, that's apparently a decision they made. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Trying I to be kind. <laughs> just trying yeah. to be nice. Well, they wanted they wanted depth for the playoff run, and he had that freak thumb injury in his first game there. So yeah. I understand their rationale in that regard. That said, you know, having his bird rights next year would have been pretty valuable. Uh, so. Yeah, that, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, Mark Stein of ESPN just reported that he's apparently ahead of schedule in his recovery. He could be back within a week, and he's drawing suitors um, from a couple different playoff teams. So once he signs, we will have more on that probably in the next episode. You know, I'm disappointed, guys. I wanted some hot takes here because I'm <laughs> I'm likewise not worried at all about you know the, the Pelican struggles and their slow start with Boogie, as you both said. I mean. I'm pretty sure before the trade deadline, both Boogie and Brow were in like the top seven or eight in usage rate league wide. So it's just not like we'll talk about, you know, some of the other major acquisitions from the deadline, but none of them were a guy who you completely have to overhaul your entire system around like Boogie is like it's not. You know, it's not Bojan Bogdanovic in Washington (laughs) where you can just like slide him off the bench and he could just shoot threes and that's his role. Like your team integrating boogie is going to require like a whole basically change of your offensive and defensive schemes. Uh, so, you know, I think they need frankly an entire off season and training camp together before we really start seeing the boogie brow tandem hitting on all cylinders. I think it was, I don't think Davis, I don't think until his fifth game with the, with this change, I'm pretty sure I saw this in a Kevin Ding column. So, Apologies if I'm wrong, but it was something like it took until the fifth game of them together for Davis to have his first assist on a cousin's basket. Wow. So, like, yeah, they're they're just not totally in sync yet, which is completely understandable. That said, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to their supporting cast, too. Like, Drew Holiday, who had been on fire coming in, or, like, yeah, coming into the All-Star break, has been pretty hit or miss since. Um, you know, they've strangely been playing Etwan Moore less than I thought they would, given their need for shooters and kind of wing. Yeah, that's wing, weird. Yeah, like wing defender guys. I mean, Hollis Thompson signed a 10-day there, so he's been providing some shooting depth, but not, uh, you know, ideally you get someone a little bit better than Hollis. So I do think it's just going to come down to what they do this off season in terms of rounding out the supporting cast, if they can keep Drew. Um, and then they got they just need more time together. I think... You know, if we come December of next year, if we're still seeing these same problems, then it might be a little bit more time to panic. But well, for now, you I'm know, not worried. You have to look at the you know the guys or the teams that they went up against. I mean, they lost to Houston. That's a great team. Mm-hmm. They lost to the Spurs. Great team. Lost to Utah. Terrific team. Uh, and they lost to Toronto, who's also a, a great team. I mm-hmm. mean, sure, they... they they lost a game to Dallas, that could be argued. Then they lost to Oklahoma City as well. Yeah, it could go either way. So that's partly why I'm not concerned. If they had lost like two games to the Brooklyn Nets, then that would have been something different, right? I mean, you have to factor in the level of competition around them. And I, I saw the Houston game, and they were just like... Lou Williams came off the bench and I think hit seven triples or something like that. It was just like... Houston, when they get going, you can't really stop them. So that's one down right there. The Utah game was just a five-point loss. So, I mean, I haven't seen that. I've only seen highlights from it, but that could have been a lot worse as well. So, uh, seven-game sample, pretty small. 
against great competition, working in a big man who is that that much of a scorer and that much of a you know presence filler. Eh, I don't mind. Yeah, those are all fair points. It's definitely if <laughs> it's different losing to those playoff caliber teams than it is to the Suns, the Lakers, and the Sixers. So <laughs> right. Uh, I'm glad that we are all staying off of Hot Take Island and not panicking yet about Boogie Brow. Let's give it a little time to breathe before we do. So let's move on to uh, our boy Yusuf Nurkic in Portland, who Sarah wisely shouted out last week in our our crush segment. Uh, you know, having just watched him annihilate my Sixers last night, he put up, I think, 28 points 20 rebounds eight assists and six blocks there was a tweet from the nba that said let's i'm gonna double check so i get the year right so the only player since charles barkley and shaquille o'neal since the 85 86 season to have at least 28 points 19 rebounds eight assists and six blocks he needed overtime to get it (laughs) but still regardless if you're in that company in the last 30 years it's insane uh you know prior to that game he was already averaging 15.2 15.2 points on 51.5% shooting, 8.2 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 1.3 steals, and 1.3 blocks in his first six games with Portland. So, Sarah, I mean, they're now 5-2 and two with Nurkic in the lineup. They have two huge victories over OKC. Do you think he's looking like a long-term piece of the puzzle in Portland? He certainly is so far. I mean, he's exactly what they needed, you know, and... And I know, I think Terry Stotts said recently, you know, he's a better passer than we even thought he was. And yeah, I knew he was skilled in that way. But um, the the thing is that that's most surprising to me is his defense. Um, mm-hmm. I, he was not known for that coming into Portland, and he's really been standing tall for them in the paint. So, yeah, I mean, not only too is he a skilled passer like I think we knew he was but how quickly he's meshed with his teammates and unlocked Mm -hmm. like for Damian and CJ they can play off the ball now they can cut down the middle when he's out kind of mid post um he's giving handoffs to you know Crab and those guys I mean it's it's huge what it's unlocked for their team so yeah, and he gets some second chance points. He's exactly what they needed, and Portland seems to love him the entire city. So, so yeah. yeah, I think they might have a riot on their hands if they tried to tried to move him, but I don't think they have any reason to want to at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, frankly, his passing has been a surprise to me because, mm-hmm. you know, he averaged less than an assist per game as a rookie, 1.3 as a sophomore, now he's up to 4.5 in seven games in Portland. It's like he's basically absorbed the Mason Plumlee point center role, but like he could also play defense a lot better than Plumlee could. He's a much better rim protector. So, Mort, what, what are you thinking about our boy Nurkic? International centers can pass, yo. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. thinking. No, yeah. but... Uh, look, he's he's been dynamite. The the only drawback has been NBA Twitter, who's been you know we we refrained from the hot takes in our earlier segment, but NBA <laughs> right. Twitter's been on fire. Like, is this guy actually better than Nikola Jokic? <laughs> Should he have played over yeah. Jokic? Like, relax. It's been yeah. eight games. Chill out. Right. Um. But but having said that, those eight games have been pretty kick ass. He's doing everything, and he's doing it in the 
old school big man traditional way outside of the passing element though mm-hmm. but i mean he is just owning the paint he i mean on offense he is getting what he wants on defense he's shutting it down he is playing old school basketball and like we we talked about at length about the effectivity of that mm-hmm. i enjoyed i enjoyed the hell out of it uh, he's currently sporting for Portland, that is, a 24 PER and a true shooting percentage of 60. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the numbers are, are right there for him. Uh, so if he continues to hit a high mark without taking long-range jumpers, I mean, hey, why not do it? I mean, you know, you have both CJ and Dame alongside you. I mean, you can afford having a guy who focuses on the eight foot and in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes him such an interesting compliment to those guys. You know, Dame against the Sixers, I think it was like 6 of 21 from the field, and they still won. Like, that's not yeah. a game they win a month ago, even. So he provides a very nice compliment to those two backcourt scorers, which is why I'm starting to think, like, you know, when he got traded there, I think the prevailing thought was, oh, well, they got a first-round pick for... Uh, Mason Plumlee, who who's a restricted free agent, they probably weren't going to be afford anyway. And then like, oh well, we'll see what happens with Nurkic. Like if he pans out, that's great. But otherwise, we still got a first round pick. And now it's like, oh wow, Nurkic was he was the prize of the deal. The first round pick is you know the icing on the cake. But more, I'm glad you brought up the the Nurkic Jokic comparisons because I I do want to bring it into that silliness right now. Uh, I think. Sarah, I'm not sure if you checked out Zach Lowe's column from today. I'm pretty sure he mentioned this. It was either him or somewhere else that I was reading this morning. But the the idea that, you know, it was... Nurkic was not ever going to hit this level in Denver mm-hmm. because Jokic is there. And it's through no fault of Denver that, you know, they are rightfully prioritizing Jokic all, over all else like they tried they tried the inverse at the first month of the season and that did not go so well and then in mid-December they're like oh wait Jokic is an all-star caliber player let's feature him and Nurkic went into the tank so it's it's very similar to the the conundrum that Philly ran into with their centers like you were just never going to maximize Jalil Okafor and Nerlens Noel because Joel Embiid is there yeah. Denver was never going to maximize Nurkic because Jokic is there that's fine mm-hmm. but you know, I, I don't think we should be crapping on Denver for, like, burying Nurkic on the bench because he was not this player in Denver. Like, he because he did not have that opportunity, he was never going to develop into this player because Portland had such a huge hole in the front court and they have two electric backcourt scorers. This is a much better fit for him. Yeah, I, I didn't right. see Lowe's article today, but... I would agree with that. You know, sometimes it just isn't a great fit, and so you get what you can for a guy who's not going to fit on your team, and he fits better somewhere else, and it works out for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, so let's let's go right into the the other guy we just mentioned, Nerlens Noel, who is in a very similar situation with Philly. He got moved to Dallas for what was widely perceived as peanuts, and hey, he's playing really well. Who knew? Uh, he's he's putting up 10 points, nearly 9 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, and 0.7 steals in just 24 minutes across his first six games. So, I mean, on court, he's been faring well. Off court, there's a little bit of rockiness already in Dallas. So he missed uh, the team plane, or he was 10 minutes late. He didn't even miss the plane. He was 10 minutes late for the plane 
He was supposed to start against Atlanta in his third game with the team. He's 10 minutes late. Carlisle uh, <laughs> basically says, no, we're not going to have any tolerance for this nonsense. Um, you know, there are always... I feel like Adrian Wojnarowski of the vertical a couple months before the trade deadline kind of alluded to uh, questions about Nerland's work habits uh, while he was in Philly. So there are always like rumblings that he was, you know, not the ideal teammate in that regard. So it sounds like Rick Carlisle of the Dallas Mavericks is having none of it. Uh, Nerland said after the plane snafu, he said, quote, coach has been real tough on me since I've been here this whole week. We're trying to memorize plays and all the little things that are going to bring me to fruition that much faster with this team. So, Mort, how do you see the the tough love approach from Carlisle working with Nerlens? Oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> look, I love hard-nosed coaches. I mean, just look at my love for Tom Thibodeau. But, you know, in today's league, we have a lot of guys who came out through the AAU circuit and were used to being pampered and not really being put in a position of having a whole lot of responsibility. So I love coaches who understand and can specify, well, there's a need for this player to to be a hard-ass on. I, I would be more concerned if I'm Nerlens Noel if Carlisle wasn't after me. Because if my coach isn't on my ass, then he has concluded that I'm not worth it. I'm not worth putting in the time of day. So having a coach on your ass, that's a good thing. That's always a good thing because it means that he sees something in you and he wants to squeeze every drop of potential. And to, know, to you know, Nerland's credit, it's, he seems like to be getting it. I mean, he, his quote right there that you just had, I mean, that was positive. He responded to it in a, in a perfect way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Sarah. What do you think about this Carlisle approach. No, I agree. I think, you know, not to indict uh, Brett Brown at all, because I'm sure he was was coaching Nerlens up. Uh, but I think, you know, from what Nerlens came out and said, just because of the organizational situation with having so many bigs, he felt like he kind of fell by the wayside a little bit in Philadelphia. Well, now he's he's been put front and center, and they say, look, we're going to give you the minutes, but we're also going to you know, require of you everything that we would expect from a guy who's going to be a big part of our future. So, you know, this, it's not going to slide if you're 10 minutes late for a plane or whatever. So, <laughs> right. no, I think that's that's what Nerland's wanted, I would think. So, yeah, he as long as he accepts it, which seems like he's going to, everything will be fine. Yeah, uh, it does seem like he's just welcoming the opportunity for – you know, he knows what's in front of him. He knows, A, he has to be on his best behavior for the next two months. Even if he's privately fuming, he can't, you know, he, he can't have these, like, locker room meltdowns like he did earlier this season because he's a restricted free agent in July. He knows he's got a payday coming up, presumably from Dallas, so he's got to play the role of the good soldier. But, yeah, I think it is, I think it's only going to help him moving forward to have a coach who just has zero tolerance for any sort of, you know, off-court BS uh, in terms of, you know, either grumbling about playing time or showing up late to practices or team planes or whatever. Like, it's, you know, you're a professional, you're being paid millions of dollars, show up on time, there are no excuses. So I think, you know, it, it sounds like Nerland's kind of just got lost on the way of the plane because <laughs> he, he's only been there for a week, yeah. which is totally understandable. But at the same time, you know, uh, kudos to Carlisle and the Mavericks organization for, you know, 
kind of saying we're not gonna give you any ground and there are no excuses here oh i love what dallas is doing generally speaking right now like yeah i think i think we talked a little bit about it on the last podcast but the the way they're rebuilding right now i'm just i'm in love i'm absolutely in love with how they're doing it and having a no noel part of this and you know not i don't think Carlisle was putting him on blast per se, but I think he was trying to show the new kids on the block that this is how we do things. Like this, this right. was actually making Noel an example, and I, I kind yeah. of enjoy that. He's <laughs> he's telling uh, Seth Curry and Dorian Finney-Smith and Quinn Cook and those guys, and oh, and Yoki Ferrell obviously that right. this is the line that we're taking, and this is how you're going to improve by listening to me. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's a really good point because you know Dirk. He came out the other day and said he could still play two more years, but you know Dirk is nearing the end of his career, so they're not going to have that respected locker room voice around for much longer. So they need to mm-hmm. command that professionalism from you know Harrison Barnes is now their franchise player when Dirk retires, and assuming the Mavericks re-sign Noel, like he's going to be one of their veteran leaders. So yeah, it's 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 a a strong approach all around for the Mavericks. I'm with you, Mort. I really like kind of their change in direction after being so intent after big name free agents for so long to kind of retool and go younger. And it's mm. so far it's paying off for them. So we'll, we're we'll talk about the Western Conference playoff race a little bit later in this podcast, uh, where they will factor in considerably. I would imagine. So let's now move. To the Eastern Conference, we have Serge Ibaka in Toronto. Uh, you know, Mort, you and I were all aboard this train since pretty much the second the season started. Uh, and, you know, Ibaka played well in Orlando, but it was a crap team. So it could have been just seeing him put up numbers on a bad team like, you know, countless guys have done in the past. And people always kind of wondered whether Ibaka had lost some steam because his numbers kind of went down a little bit in his final few seasons in OKC. But in Toronto, he's averaging over 16 points on 47% shooting, over seven rebounds, two threes, nearly two blocks, and a steal around 35 minutes per game. The Raptors are 5-2 and two with him in the starting lineup, even without Kyle Lowry for that whole span. So, more is this Ibaka trade panning out as you expected? Yeah, he's been pretty similar as to his Orlando stats when you put it at a per 36-minute basis. And mm-hmm. his advanced numbers, he's, his PR has actually gone down a little bit. But that doesn't matter. It's the fit that matters. And he fits beautifully. He's become more of a shooter than a guy who comes into the paint. His free throw rate has really dropped down. And he's taking a whole bunch of threes now compared to before. But he's nailing them, and he's nailing them because he's wide open now. The, Toronto has done a better look of creating him better open looks. So I'm, I'm enjoying seeing that benefit to him. And when he feels more comfortable in that offense to go near the rim, which will happen, mm-hmm. I think his efficiency and his PER, all those advanced metrics are going to climb. And next season, with a training camp under his belt, whoo. That's going to be interesting. And I, yeah, I am assuming that they're going to keep him, and I'm assuming that he's going to resign. I mean, look, this this was, uh, this was trade was done to show him that we want you bad. Right. We want to keep you. Um, yeah. I, I have a hard time seeing, you know, Serge telling them no this yeah. summer. Yeah. 
I mean, if only because they could offer him more money by virtue of having his bird rights and an extra well, year on too. his contract. Yeah, that's true. But, but the loyalty as well. I mean, look, yeah. don't don't underestimate you know the power of loyalty in the NBA when it comes to how much a team gives up for you and mm-hmm. and like immediately gives you a starting position. Obviously, that was you know the plan all along. But still, like we want you. We want you here long term. We're gonna give up valuable pieces to get you. Like, come on in here. You can be the difference maker. That speaks to a player's ego as well, and I yeah, think that's huge. Uh, yeah. But but obviously the money money talks. Yeah, and I mean the, you know the Raptors are a very good team. They're going to be right in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff race at least for the next couple seasons, assuming Kyle Lowry also resigns there. So, you know, it's we we said it uh, after the trade happened. It was basically a free agent splash five months early because they couldn't have afforded him as a free yeah. agent had they not traded for him. So yeah, I'm with you. And assuming he resigns there, uh, Sarah, what what have you seen out of the Serge Ibaka experiment in Toronto? Do you think it's going well enough for them to offer him huge money this summer? I mean, depending on how huge you guys are, are the <laughs> yeah. money gurus, but but yeah, he's definitely fit well. And like Mort said, he's shooting it well. He's got that pick and pop out to the three point line going really nicely. It creates more spacing for them to work. Um. It's uh, it's just been a really nice fit. I, you said that he, they're five and two with him in the starting lineup, all without Kyle Lowry. So mm-hmm. I don't think you could have expected or asked for any more than that. I mean, that's that's fantastic because it was a huge hit to hear that they were going to lose Lowry, and he's kind of studied the ship a little bit. Yeah, well, your boy Corey Joseph is also playing well. well. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's turn to our last one, Bojan Bogdanovic in Washington. And I, I think it's safe to say that he likes playing with John Wall because in his first eight games with the Wizards, he's averaging 16.5 points on 52% shooting, nearly three made threes a game, nearly three rebounds, uh, 0.6 assists, and 0.5 steals in almost 25 minutes. Here's the thing that's crazy. John Wall has already assisted on 29 of his 39 made field goals, and he has already ma- three 25-plus-point outings in Washington, including a game where he had 29 points against Orlando. He went 8 of 10 from downtown in that game. So, Mort, do you think the Wizards should have any regret giving up a first-round pick for him, or is this panning out even better than they could have hoped? Oh, um, no and yes in that (laughs) order. Uh, he's been absolutely fantastic. We should mention he hasn't missed a free throw either. He's 31 for 31. He has been highly efficient. Right now, his true shooting percentage with Washington is 74.5. That's that's worth mentioning. (laughs) Okay, he's pretty good. he's, he's, He's just draining everything right now. Obviously, he's coming off, you know, a hot streak. This is isn't entirely sustainable, but the fact remains that Washington right now has a bench threat that they didn't have before. They have a guy who can come in and play two positions, which is essential because he can play the small ball four, he can play the three, and in a pinch, in a pinch, you can actually play him as a two guard if the system allows it. So I'm really dicking this for Washington, and if they gave up a first rounder for it, no matter, because this could actually allow them to jump in the standings, it could allow them to make a strong playoff push, because... As we talked about previously, their starting lineup is mm-hmm. very, very solid. It, that was one of those more steady 
starting lineups in the in the whole league. Everyone could really participate and everyone could score. There weren't really anyone who was a liability. Now you add that sort of score to your bench. You also add in Brandon Jennings, who could be a hit or miss. We don't know, but potentially if you can offer some stability, the one and some shooting, then hey, Washington just upgraded big time. And that means a lot in the East specifically. I mean, look, what's their competition right now? Boston? Mm. I like Boston, but I'm not sure I, I can rule rule out Washington in a seven-game series. Yeah, no, I, I think that's entirely reasonable. In fact, you know, right now, they're only a game behind Boston for the number two seed, and they're only three games behind Cleveland for the number one. Like, it's mm. at least conceivable that they challenge Cleveland late for that number one seed if they continue playing this well. Um yeah, and I mean, I'm glad you brought up, you know, just the overall depth of the bench because they've gone from relying on the likes of, you know, Trey Burke. Yeah. To, like, going from Trey Burke to Brandon Jennings is already an upgrade. Uh, Bogdanovich, you know, obviously playing very well as well. Ian Mahinmi has come back, and he's been kind of hit or miss, but against the Suns the other night, he was a plus 38 in 26 minutes. You know, he had 15 points, 9 rebounds, 7 steals. Like, they suddenly have a rotation deep enough where, you know, if I had to pick today, if we were going based on the standings today and I had to chart uh, a playoff bracket, I think I'd put the Wizards over the Celtics and I'd put them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Am I crazy, Sarah? Am I overrating how much this bench upgrade has helped? No, I, I really like the way they look right now, too. I was going through... You know, in the outline you sent us, uh, we're going to talk about the playoff races a little bit later. So I was trying to look at, you know, those bottom few teams uh, and their remaining schedule. And every time I came to the Wiz, I'm like, oh, I like the Wiz to win that one. <laughs> you know, they just care <laughs> hot right now. So, um, you know, back to your original question about, you know, should you regret giving up the, the first round pick? Yeah, I, I don't think you you regret giving up a question mark for a guy who's fitting in well and playing well for your team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> he, he's been incredible. Although I imagine that executives are pretty much just riddled with regret and what if all the time. But, <laughs> right. but you know, I, I like the Wizards a lot right now. They might really be above the Celtics. Uh, I don't want to overlook the Celtics really do defend well, so that gives them a chance. But But I think, like you said, I think I might have to go with the Wizards right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we I think next next episode we will evaluate kind of the top of each conference's bracket because things are heating up in both sides frankly. Now, you know, your Sarah, your Spurs are kind of sneaking up as a possible challenger for the number 1 seed out west. We have Boston and Washington kind of challenging Cleveland out east. So next episode we'll focus on those this time Let's take a look at the bottom of each bracket. And I'm going to start with the West, Sarah. So right now, Denver has the number eight seed. Portland is only a half game behind them. Dallas is one and a half games behind. Minnesota is two and a half behind. Do you think Denver can stave off these challengers? Or if not, who do you see coming out and grabbing that number one, number eight seed, possibly to challenge your Spurs in the first round? <laughs> it's... uh. It's tough. I, I started out thinking, and really of, of the four who are right there, Minnesota is the only team that I 
I don't think is going to sleep in there or doesn't really have a great chance to. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's hard to to say the Mavs can't do it. I, for some reason, I had the feeling that they were going to. As, as you remember, I picked them and Minnesota to make the playoffs initially. <laughs> <laughs> um, but looking at their schedule, they just had a little bit more tougher of a schedule remaining. So I don't mm -hmm. know, you know, being being that full game back already, I don't know that they can, can make that up in the time they have left. So to me, it's really between the Nuggets and the Blazers right now. And I think when I kind of did my projected uh, finishing records, I had the Blazers just sneaking in there. But I think it's going to be really, really close. Do you know who has the tiebreaker? Uh... I'm not sure, and I don't know if it's even decided. It may not be. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think I'm gonna go Blazers, but it's it's really tight. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mort? How do you see that West race shaking out? Oh, I just love the fact that it's Denver and Portland because they made that trade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's gonna make it a little bit more exciting. Um, I do see on the schedule that the Denver and Portland is gonna meet up once on March 28th. Okay. So there could be some tie-breaking there. I haven't really looked at the results from earlier. Well, Denver won against Portland on December 15th, and they lost on November 13th, and then they lost on October 29th. So, okay. yeah, it could be a 2-2, two and two, Yeah. or it could be a 3-1. and one. So Right. We'll, we'll, we'll see, but... Uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that Portland is going to figure things out because we were we talked about them earlier with, with Nurkic and all, and we had at length talked about how Portland needed a big, and mm -hmm. we were also talking about Ibaka for Ellen Crab, or at least I was banging that drum a lot. Right. And I would argue that the end result here was far superior because mm -hmm. they actually got a guy who can now man the middle for him without having to give up Alan Crabb, <laughs> which is like that that's the best thing at all so when they find a way to tunnel all that talent and make it grow and which they don't have a whole lot of time to then i think they will they will take the spot from Denver but unless Nikola Jokic just go ape and yeah you know Gary Harris has played well so he would need to keep that up you have to get Gallo more involved and you're probably going to have to have Jamal Murray really make like a strong rookie push at the end as well mm -hmm. to really maintain it. But I'm liking Portland's chances. But like Sarah, I'm also not ruling out Dallas entirely. <laughs> they found yeah. some sort of formula that works right now. Getting all those undrafted guys in kind of works, right? Yeah. So it's going to be a real interesting uh, three-team matchup thing going on for the final part of the season. Minnesota, I, I'm not seeing that one, though. Even though they've had the best defense in the league since the All-Star break, I, I don't know if they have enough. And it, it hurts. It's <laughs> yeah. saying, I'll admit that, because like Sarah, I had them in the playoffs. I just, yeah. I'm kind of wobbling on them a little bit. Yeah, I, I thankfully did not have Minnesota in the playoffs. <laughs> so so I, I am happy to rule them out because like you guys, I just don't think they have enough to overcome two and a half games. I do think it's between Denver, Portland, and Dallas. Unfortunately, I was the only one, I think of the only one of us who did not have Portland in the playoffs. 
and I'm starting to regret that because <laughs> they, you know, this Nurkic thing, it's really just changed their entire outlook. Like they were really struggling coming into the all-star break. I think they lost, uh, let's see, they lost three of their last four, five of their last six. So like, <laughs> you know, they heading into the all-star break, they were 23 and 33. I was feeling pretty good about my no Portland in the playoffs pick. Uh, now all of a sudden, you know, it, they beat. It took overtime to beat the Sixers, so that's not exactly something to celebrate. But they do have two big wins over OKC lately. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I guess how far they've come because their next five they have versus Washington on Saturday, and then a four-game road trip in which they play the Pelicans, the Hawks. Oh, five-game road trip. Sorry, Pelicans, Hawks, Spurs, and Miami. So that could go a long way toward deciding, uh, you know, just how realistic of a challenger they are. It's worth noting that Nikola Jokic is dealing with some sort of illness right now. I believe he missed Wednesday's game, and he's very questionable tonight. So if he can't get back on the court soon, that could <laughs> doesn't exactly bode well for Denver's chances of staying afloat. So I'm with you two. I think Portland sneaks in. I'm actually kind of leaning Dallas over Denver for the number nine seed at this point. So, well, you know, it's going to be, I don't think one team is going to run away with it. I'll say that much. I think this will probably not be the last time we discuss the bottom of the West. Um, the bottom of the East is honestly even more, uh, more of a cluster. Uh, we've got Detroit at 32 and 33 as the seven seed. The Bulls are a half game behind them. And then the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks are a half game behind the Bulls uh, for the number eight seed. So, Mort, uh, how are you feeling about your Bulls hanging on to the number eight? Oh, they're not going to be able to. Uh, <laughs> Miami Miami has been better than Golden State uh, over the last 24 games. Miami has won 20, lost four. Golden State has won 19, lost five. So that just to put it in comparison... Miami is not going to go back to their start. They started up the season 11 and 30, so the first half of the season they played horribly. Mm-hmm. So even if they, you know, get off their hot uh, their hot track right now, they're still going to be decent at at the very least 500 ball if not 600 ball. Uh they're going to overtake Chicago because Chicago has a rough schedule coming up. They're inconsistent. We've talked about this at length. They're not talented enough. So I see Chicago as the team definitely on the outs. Mm-hmm. And that leaves the battle between Detroit and Miami. I think Miami could go all the way up and take seventh from yeah. Detroit. And then Detroit ends up at eighth. Milwaukee is the big question here. Mm-hmm. because they're intriguing, right? You can't really rule out a team having Giannis on it. So, And at 30 and 33, there's a lot of time left, or enough time left, to make it a 500 squad, for sure. So they might even get hot and take Detroit out. So mm-hmm. we could have a whole different pay- playoff picture in April. Um, so, But if I had to guess, at this point, it's going to be Miami... And Milwaukee taking over seventh and eight. Wow! All right. Yeah, yeah. That and and to Pistons fans out there, look, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not feeling you guys. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> Reggie Jackson is inconsistent. So is Andre Drummond. 
there are a lot of things that just seems to be bouncing wrong for you guys. Not really, not digging the whole consistency angle there. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually I'm about to start writing something about the Pistons uh, for B-ball breakdown. So keep an eye out for that in the coming days because they did they did just beat Cleveland on Thursday. They did. Um, but yeah, I mean they they have somewhat of a rough schedule coming up. They've got Cleveland to get on Tuesday. They have Utah. I mean, after that, they have Cleveland, Utah, Toronto, and then after that, it's Phoenix, Brooklyn, Chicago, Orlando, Knicks, Miami, Brooklyn. So they they have an opportunity to fatten up, but the end Mm -hmm. of their season gets tough. They have Milwaukee, Toronto, Houston, Memphis, Washington. So they could be in for a very late season slide. Uh, Sarah, how do you see the Eastern Conference bracket playing out? Uh, In my rough projections I had actually the Bulls and the Bucks creeping in there um, the Bulls I didn't expect them to be great over the last through March but in April they have the Hawks which is a winnable game the Pelicans which who knows what will be going on with them at that point <laughs> and then they got the Knicks the Sixers the Nets twice and the Magic so I expect them to finish strong if they haven't completely decided they don't care anymore at that point. <laughs> um, so that's how I had them creeping in there. But yeah, the East is the mystery wrapped in an enigma right now. So yeah. it's just so so much inconsistency that it really could be anybody's anybody's game. But I, I did have the Bulls and the Bucks. Okay. All right. Wow. Two Bucks. Okay. I think I'm gonna go. Uh, it's really tough because everyone is just so close, and it's like you, one injury is gonna knock one team out most likely. But mm. if I had to pick right now, I'm probably doing, I guess Detroit seventh, Miami eighth, Bucks ninth, Bulls tenth. I have no faith in the Bulls. <laughs> <whatsoever. But> yeah, <laughs> no, I get that. That's basically where I'm at. I, I'm pretty confident the Bulls will not be in the playoffs. But aside from that, yeah, I mean that that. End of season slate for Detroit, you know, or the rest of March, I guess they can really fatten up. They could even overtake Indiana. I mean, Indiana is only a game and a half up on the Pistons. That young is banged up. They're four and six in the last ten. So I guess, frankly, we should not count them out as a team that could be overtaken as well. Um, point is, <laughs> whoever gets the top three seeds of the East is probably going to have a pretty easy first round matchup. Because I, I can't see any of those teams, even if they do sneak into the playoffs, moving on. All right, so let's now move into our deep dive section. I don't know why it all happened like this. I feel like this happens on basketball Twitter sometimes, where like five different people all decide to write about the same person or the same team in the same week. But this week, the topic du jour has been Brandon Ingram, the Los Angeles Lakers' number two overall pick. Um, Zach Harper of FanRag, Kevin Pelton of ESPN, and Ian Levy of FanSided all wrote columns about him, whether he's a bust already, whether it's too early to call him a bust. Kevin Pelton suggested, you know, they might even, the Lakers should possibly consider trading Brandon Ingram this summer. Uh, he said, you know, he, he's basically, the Kevin Durant comparisons, the pre-draft comparisons were totally out of whack, and he said... His suspicion is that teams around the league will be slower to update their perception of Ingram to someone who is likely to be around an average player at peak. So, Sarah, do you think 
as crazy as it sounds, do you think the Lakers should consider trading him this summer? Do you think he's already a bust, or do you think you know it, it's just a matter of him needing to fill out his body and round out his game? The idea of even asking the question if a guy is a bust or not before he's even through his rookie season is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum as far as considering trading. Sure, consider it, but I just think it's too early to move on from this guy. I think, you know, maybe he's not exactly what you wanted from that number of a pick to be able to, you know, be great right away, but he's he's raw, he's got potential with that, that length that he has. He shows flashes, he just has to work on getting consistent. That's not uncommon for a rookie so Mm -hmm. i i don't think that they should move on from him Uh, i don't think that he's a bust at all i just i think it's way too much over analysis right now of a guy who's still so young yeah i'm glad you added that qualifier because it is totally insane to to say a guy is a bust or a guy is a hit after one season like you know michael carter williams one rookie of the year would we would we say he's been a good player since then? Probably not so much. Uh, what about you? Where where do you stand on the Brandon Ingram, uh, the spectrum of bust to guy who could develop into an all star still? So I won't be disappointing you today. You wanted a hot take here. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Fill my veins. I would want. LA to field a lot of offers for both Ingram and D'Angelo Russell. Ooh. Um, and I would, in particular, I would want to see whoever gets number one mm-hmm. in the draft this year, I would be willing to offer both for number one. Wow. And take Markel Foles and run with it. Because here's the thing. You need to show something, even at an early age. You need to show that there is a, basis, a, basic, a base that you can improve upon. Mm-hmm. Like th- that is the case with Ingram on a certain level, but his ceiling seems to have diminished. And I agree with the point that he is far more attractive now to opposing GMs than he will be a year from now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cash in if the right offer is there. As far as D'Angelo Russell goes, I don't think he is this um, obvious future superstar that people are making him out to be at mm-hmm. all um he's he's probably gonna have a few all-star appearances he's undoubtedly a terrific player he's got terrific court vision he's one of those tall point guards that you can always use but he's just not the type of guy who consistently takes over and does all the things that you want from a franchise player so if you are willing to sacrifice two guys who are at best going to be very important complementary players to get an, a franchise-altering guy, you do it. Mm-hmm. You absolutely do it. And uh, you, you guys know of my crazy love for, for Markel Fultz. So yeah, right. if, that, if that trade is ever on the table, you do it and you don't look twice. Interesting. Would you still do it for number two, for Lonzo Ball, or only for Markel Fultz? Markel Fultz. I'm not a huge believer in Lonzo Ball. Not having to sit. I mean... Look, I love him in terms of how he plays and how he shoots. I mean, look, that step back is ridiculous. He's got great athleticism, but 
I'm not sure that he has as much potential as we believe that he has because when he tries to create off the dribble in terms of scoring for himself, it's really awkward. It's mm. it's so awkward that he has to stop midway in his pull-ups and on the NBA level, he's going to be eaten alive when he attempts that. So mm-hmm. I think his role in the NBA is going to be somewhat limited in, ter- in terms of scoring, I should say. He's going to be a fantastic playmaker and he can run the floor. Sure. But he's going to be mostly a spot-up shooter and he's... I don't think he'll have the same success rate in terms of step back three pointers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because right. he's going up against so much more athletic players. Right. I think right. He, I think he could carve out a very nice career in the league, but I mean I'm all in on Fultz, and if not Fultz, I could even I, I would even be interested in uh, Laurie Markinen from Arizona at a, oh, wow. at a very high slot because mm-hmm. I think that kid is really really good. I can't wait till we do our draft thing. We we need to get Ricky O'Donnell on from SB Nation. Yeah, and we'll have Jeff. We'll try to get Jeff Fair back as well, who we did the draft pod with last year. Oh, that's then Jeff will need to to remember to record this time around. <laughs> right, right. Ideally, that would help. Um, huh. So, wow. I guess. Yeah, I guess if you. I don't know, man. That's that's a lot for faults, but I guess you wanted a hot take, Brian. Yeah, I know. That's. That's certainly interesting. If nothing else, that's very interesting. And, you know, especially because, you know, the Lakers could have, frankly, like the top two picks or the top, you know, they could, if they traded for number one and they fall to number three, they could have Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson all of a sudden. And, like, pair, that, yeah. With, yeah, pair that with Clarkson and uh, with Julius Randle. And, you know, as someone with a vested interest in the Lakers draft fortunes over the next 15 months... Uh, I I would be very interested to see them. You know, I think that would probably improve their long term outlook, but it would probably make them worse in the short term. So, the the Sixers who have their unprotected twenty eighteen pick, if their top three protected twenty seventeen one doesn't mm-hmm. come, that would be pretty appetizing on my end. Uh, you know, I'm well, you, with. You- Oh, yeah, sorry. You, you kind of yeah. Sorry that you just mentioned something because I I forgot to clarify something. Obviously, <laughs> this deal should only be offered if the LA doesn't win the lottery and if they fall out of the top three. Okay. Because I mean that it would be ridiculous to trade those two guys who are great complementary players and who could become pseudo all stars if you uh-huh. still have a top three pick like a Josh sure. Jackson or. Yeah, a Markinen or whatever. I mean, or or even Alonso Ball if they believe he's worth it. I mean, look, I'm not a scout. I don't have the same intel as a scout. So mm-hmm. if they think Alonso Ball is is very close to Fultz, yeah, you take that and you run with that and see how it goes. So my my line of thinking was solely if they fall out of the top three, and it's, okay. it's, it's because I expect them to fall out of the top three. Oh, don't don't jinx it. <laughs> it's way too early to start talking about that. Although they did have a clutch win uh, against the Suns last night, which was just the worst possible thing they could have done for their lottery pick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely in your camp, Sarah, that way too early to call Brandon Ingram a bust. I think he's, mm. what, like the youngest, or one of the youngest players in the league right now. Oh, Dragon Bender is the youngest, but he's probably like, what, second or third youngest? I mean, he's... He came in as 190 pounds soaking wet. Like that was just there. It was always, he was always going to take time to develop into an NBA player. Like his frame is just not there where he, you know, like a a bigger, if you're putting him against LeBron James, LeBron James has 70 or 80 pounds on him almost, right? Like 
Yeah. There's no way he's going to have any chance of defending LeBron James because LeBron could just back him down and bowl him over. Um, I I think he has shown flashes increasingly of late, um, especially as the Lakers have kind of prioritized his development, moved Luol Deng to the bench, put him in the starting lineup, playing him. I think he played like 40 minutes last night against the Suns. And, you know, he, he's, he, he hasn't had like an explosive, like, 40-point performance yet, like what we saw from Devin Booker late last season, which I think is partially fueling some of these, um, you know, some some of these hot takes. I think it, it kind of reminds me of Andrew Wiggins a little bit, like slightly different in that I think um, Ingram is already showing a little bit more well-roundedness, whereas Wiggins, the problem is, you know, you want him to be more well-rounded. Like, he's an electric scorer already, but he's not really doing that much else. Whereas Ingram, you want him to be more of a scorer, but he's, you know, chipping in a couple steals, a couple blocks, a few assists. So it really feels like a, a question. I think, Sarah, you were the one who alluded to this. Like, it, it, he might not deliver the value you hope from a number two pick, but I also don't think he's, like, a league average player at best. I think he still has that all-star upside. We saw coming into the year. He just needs to pack on a few more pounds, you know, get (laughs) that'll help him defensively. Uh, I think now that he's been through a full NBA season, he knows kind of the rigors of that. Uh, I do expect his shot to come around. I don't think he's shooting like 30 some percent from three point range. I think he will top out 29, 29. Yeah. I think that's, uh, he's going to improve on that drastically. It would not surprise me to see him shoot 35% from three next year. Mm. So I, I do think it's just way too early to say, you know, the jury's out on him. That said, uh, if, yeah, Sarah, I'm with you. If, if the right offer comes along, you do have to consider trading him. He's he's done nothing to prove he's an untouchable. Yeah, but there's very few I guys who are untouchable, you know. If, yeah, if he'd have been right. Kevin Durant, the second coming, then sure. But yeah, otherwise, right. yeah, he's open. Yeah, yeah. But it's got to be for the right offer. I'm not trading him for, say, Julia Okafor. Unless unless Magic really likes Julia Okafor. I should, I should clarify that. Magic, if you're listening to this podcast, that's a pretty good deal. I think it's fair value. You should probably just trade him for Julia Okafor. Um, we promised a month, Brian. <laughs> I, i'm not going i mean I, we won't talk about the sixers but i i will try to slip in a trade for jaleel okafor every episode just in case <laughs> just in case someone sees him and is like oh yeah he, he played really well against portland he, he, he didn't get four fouls called against him with like four minutes against Nurkic. uh all right let's move on to our where amazing happens segment where we need to pay homage to a true nba legend on Tuesday, Dirk Nowitzki became the sixth player in NBA history to score at least 30,000 points. So, first of all, kudos to Dirk. I mean, Sarah, I know he has tormented your Spurs for <laughs> for about 20 years now, but uh, just it's an incredible accomplishment for a guy who, you know, was often maligned earlier in his career, Uh especially until he won that championship in 2011. You know, he had to just deal with the perception of being a soft European player. He frankly redefined, you know, positionality like a lot. You would not see the likes of Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid and Miles Turner shooting three pointers, if not for Dirk Nowitzki. So, you know, he's a 
first ballot Hall of Famer in my books. This accomplishment only cemented it. But I wanted to discuss his accomplishment in the context of a question that For the Wins Addie Joseph tweeted out uh, after his 30,000th point. So Addie tweeted, assuming Tim Duncan counts as a power forward, so we will, he, he's the number one power forward of this generation. Who is the second best one? Is it Dirk? Is it Carl Malone? Is it Charles Barkley? Or is it Kevin Garnett? And Sarah, I'm going to throw this to you because you are so familiar with Mr. Nowitzki. Um, I, well, first of all, it's I don't love lumping Malone and Barkley in, in that generation with Garnett and, and Dirk. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm not, I don't feel great about trying to assess them because I didn't get to see those two guys, uh, you know, in their peak as much because I didn't start watching the NBA when they were were really killing it. Um, and then the comparison that you sent over, I mean, Barkley was crazy efficient. Mm-hmm. He's better than I really ever realized he was. Um, but so if I'm just going to put it down to Garnett and Dirk, man, it's hard for me to call it. I'm really interested to hear what you guys are going to say because I definitely think you know, Dirk came along defensively, but I think you know Garnett probably has him there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dirk was just really so consistent for so long. I mean, I know Garnett has twenty seasons, but his last what two or three years, he really didn't play that much. I don't yeah. know. I no, don't know. He was he was pretty he was pretty rugged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those last two years. Yeah. Yeah. So I might go Dirk just for the longevity, honestly. But, I mean, wow. when, when Garnett was great, he burned really, really hot at his peak. And he, I would yeah. say his peak was better than Dirk's. But okay. Dirk was really good, too. It's yeah. rough. Right. No, no disrespect yeah. to any it's of hard. these players. We should preface this discussion with that. All four are Hall of Fame caliber players. So, uh, more if, if you want to do all four, you can do all four. If you want to do just KG and Dirk. Hit us with your hottest take here. Oh, that yeah. Um, so I agree that the generation thing is BS. Okay. Uh, because there's Fair. just like Charles was drafted in '84. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's already there. It was what 11 years before Garnett. So I knew I knew I could generation. count on you to be with me on this work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's utterly ridiculous. So I'm I'm gonna go two times here. I let's let's just take it up with Charles and Malone. First, and okay. I have Charles over Carl. Oh, okay. And I know that Carl was the better defender uh-huh. by far. He was also the better raw scorer, but Charles was the better overall player in that he he was a, such an underrated passer. His rebounding for a guy who was six six, his energy, his ability to just run the fast breaks fast break single-handedly he was sort of like lebron in many ways just without the defense but even during his peak he actually was pretty decent defensively speaking and he didn't really get a whole bunch of of points from the foul line as opposed to carl who like i think he leads the league in total free throws mm-hmm. attempted for his career but fair enough he played almost 400 games so that's maybe a bad Example, I'm still going to go Chuck just because of the 
all-around game that he had to him. The fact that he could rebound outside his area. Oh, yeah, Charles was, like, so much better as a rebounder uh, mm. overall. So, um, and then Charles, and then Carl's second. Now switching over to the Garnett-Nowinski thing, Sarah hit it on the head when it came to the better prime was Garnett's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is obvious to me. Like, Garnett was at least a level above Dirk when he was in his absolute prime because he was so dominant on both ends of the court. Uh, rebounding, defending, playmaking. I think he had, he had a season, correct me if I'm wrong, where he averaged six assists a game. Garnett did from the power forward position at at seven to, what what was it six twelve he called himself being listed <laughs> yeah, at? yeah 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 he did have so, 2002 2003 he averaged six assists i mean he yeah had, he had let's see six straight where he had more than five or five yeah. or more i should say mm-hmm. and as coincident would have it i actually saw a whole bunch of wolves games um, when he won his mvp season because that we that was one of the first years we actually had NBA basketball on Danish television. Mm. Like, I would usually download games illegally. Don't sue me, NBA. But, <laughs> um, but, but for some, you know, the Timberwolves were all the hype back then, at least here. So we got a lot of Garnett games. And obviously, I followed Dirk in his, his MVP season. And there was just, there was a difference there. There was a significant difference. Like, Garnett just controlled the game from the get go in a, in a way Dirk never did. Mm. And that's not to take. Anything away from Dirk at all, he's been absolutely amazing. Uh, like, I made a tweet the other day that if I could call back to Las Vegas, Las Vegas yeah, in 1996 yeah. and say, you know, in two years' time, you've got to have a German seven-footer in the NBA who's going to shoot three-pointers and, and end up with 30,000 points, I'm going to put two grand on that. I mean, they would have taken it right off the bat. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go Garnett, but... I'm going to say it's a lot closer between those two when it comes to overall career achievements mm-hmm. and then Garnett in a landslide when it comes to prime. Yeah, that seems fair. I like, Sarah, I like the way you divided that in terms <laughs> of longevity versus prime because, Mort, I'm with you in siding with Garnett, uh, if only because of his two-way impact. I mean... I know his per-game stats kind of slipped once he went to Boston, but that's also because he was suddenly playing with yeah. <laughs> Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. Like, we saw the same thing happen with Chris Bosh when he went to Miami, so I'm not going to hold him too accountable for that. I mean, he had four straight years where he led the league in rebounding. Uh, as you mentioned, like, six straight seasons where he averaged five assists per game or more from, from that position is absurd. Mm. That said, like, I, I mean, Dirk... It's just amazing that even at this age, you know, he's 38 years old. He's going to turn 39 in mid-June. Like, he's still damn near unguardable. Like, that shot of his, that one-legged fadeaway, is just one of the most difficult shots to guard in, and frankly, in NBA history, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's unreal how well he has perfected that shot. Like, I, I want that to be some sort of... You know, like Jerry West did the logo. I want, I want like a Dirk one-legged fadeaway to be some sort of logo. Like make an all-star competition, like the all-star horse competition, and make Dirk's shot the the logo of that. Because it's just, I cannot believe, you know, just how how consistent he has been. I mean, he hasn't averaged prior to this season. 
he hadn't averaged fewer than 17 points since he was a rookie. Like, as yeah. you as you guys both said, you know, KG, uh, <laughs> the last couple of years of his career, were, you know, he was a shell of himself. Whereas Dirk, yeah, he's not scoring as much this year, but he's still averaging nearly 14 points a game. He's taking fewer shots. I mean, his efficiency is down, but, you know, he's still shooting above 37% from three-point range. So, again, dude is a first-ballot Hall of Famer. He really, I mean, he is a huge reason why the NBA looks like it does today. So, kudos. European bigs, y'all. <laughs> yeah, kudos to Dirk all around for a well-deserved accomplishment. I did see someone tweet um, that if LeBron keeps going at his current rate, he's going to hit 30,000 by January of next year, which is absurd. So we have high school benefit. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just uh, pencil down that discussion for our January 2018 <laughs> podcast because that's we will equally gush over LeBron James's career then. So let us wrap things up this week with our My Crush segment where we shine a spotlight on a non all star caliber player, Mort, who chose Kawhi Leonard last <laughs> week. <laughs> A someone who is not getting the attention he deserves. So, Mort, I'm going to start with you this week, to, just to make sure you're not going back to the Kawhi well. Oh, man. I've actually been thinking about this because I didn't feel right going to him for a second time. <laughs> no, no, not, not Kawhi. Oh, oh. <laughs> not Kawhi, but, but going to a guy for the second time when his NBA career is only 17 games uh, old. Or wait a second, that he did play for Brooklyn a little bit. I was uh, I was actually thinking about Yogi Ferrell again, simply that's, because that's he's, he's, just, he's he's been so good, and I want to follow that up with a question, and that's partly why okay. I choose him again. If he continues his current rate right now for the rest of the season, even though his total played games is going to be very limited, mm-hmm. should he be an All Rookie First Teamer? Hmm. So how many, he would probably have like 35 games under his belt, is that right? Well, for for Dallas, yes. He has 27 career games to his name right now. Okay. Huh. I mean, <laughs> as really an indictment of this rookie class that this is even a question. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Embiid, Brogdon, and Sarish will be three of the five. Mm-hmm. I would guess, I mean, after that, it's like, what, Jamal Murray, Ingram. Uh, oh, I'm so taking Yogi Ferrell over Ingram when it comes to all rookie teams, though. Buddy Heald, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Marquise Chris has been playing well lately. Yeah, he's been, he's been doing good. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly not out of the question but if we're gonna penalize Embiid for only playing 31 games in the rookie of the year race I'm thinking hey I didn't do that by the way that's fair that's true but I'm thinking Yogi might fall victim to that same kind of thing Mm. that said I mean there's really oh it it gets rough I mean I don't know I mean I feel like Jamal Murray is probably gonna get a spot and as do I yeah I guess yeah I don't know. After that, Dallas it, has 19 games remaining. Yeah. I I feel like that fifth spot will come down to Buddy, um, Ingram, maybe Marquise Chris. 
yeah. and Yogi. Hmm. But it can't be ruled out. That's gonna what I. That's what yeah. I'm gonna hang my hat on. It okay. can't be ruled out. Yeah, right. Which that's in fair. itself is is pretty crazy, and that's why I have him as my crush. And I just love to watch him play, and, and I just I want to give Dallas so much credit that I'm probably going to choose a Maverick for the remainder of the season <laughs> just because the way they're rebuilding right now is just so so impressive. I'm just, my hat is off. Guys, yeah. it's unbelievable. That's fair. Uh, Alright, Sarah, who's your crush of the week? Uh, first, I want to say that a few minutes ago, Brian, when we were talking about playoff races, you mentioned um, the Spurs kind of getting close to that number one seed. And mm-hmm. I was remembering that we talked about that last last episode and I was saying that I was excited about just the fact that it it was not decided yet uh but but I realized after we recorded that it sounded kind of in poor taste like I was celebrating Durant's injury which I did not mean it to sound that way at all certainly not happy that he's hurt and I wouldn't have said anything oh you totally meant that yeah (laughs) thrilled we threw a party here yeah um Yeah, and I wouldn't have probably said anything if he'd have been out for the year, but knowing that he'll be able to come back, well, I don't know, maybe he won't, but I know that this injury is not like a career-ending, season-ending injury. So anyway, that aside, um, my crush for for this week is actually sixth man, Pau Gasol. (laughs) Oh, okay. And it's not really about the numbers. I mean, he's... He's been good in, in eight games off the bench. He's averaging 14.7 rebounds. He's had a couple of rough outings. He was not great uh, in the Houston game or the Sacramento game. But overall, he's shot 50% in those games. The team won his first seven back. Um, but it's more about the fact that he's just accepted the role. And we know that he you know, has resisted that somewhat in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and I, <laughs> I, I did not know that, that we would ever see him accept that uh, but he's had several quotes uh, when he's been asked about mm-hmm. it he says uh, <laughs> what really matters is who finishes I have no problem with the way things are right now uh, the first five minutes are irrelevant what matters most is being out there when the game is on the line when it's for the money the way I see it I start a game five or six minutes later. <laughs> so kind, kind of sounds like he's talking himself through it, but hey, whatever you got to do, pal, whatever works for you. Um, but I just appreciate that yeah. he's going with the flow at this point and he's accepting the role. I mean, he can eat against, we talked about this a lot with like guys like Al Jefferson, you know, maybe not terrific defenders, but who can really eat against those second unit pigs. So mm-hmm. I think it's a great role for him, and I'm just glad that he's going along with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mort, I'm sure you have some thoughts about his unwillingness to do that with the Bulls, but yeah, it's... No, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter who apparently starts game right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well... I, I, mean... I just think he should send Taj Gibson, like, so, so many flowers <laughs> that he can't see his own department, because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sarah, to your point, I mean, you know, Pop uh, Pop the other day kind of said, like, I think starting Dwayne Dedman gives us our best chance to win games. So it is a credit to Powell for being willing to sacrifice. I mean, some of that may just be to, you know, he realizes how good the Spurs are and how much they're rolling. And, like, they could beat the Kings despite being without two or three of their best players. Like, it doesn't matter who they play. They're still just a 
serious championship contender. So maybe the fact he's that close to the, the you know, another ring is motivating him, but credit to him nonetheless. Um, my crush of the week, more feeding off of your uh, Yogi, you know, before he came to Dallas, he was a Brooklyn Nets. So my crush of the week is Kenny Atkinson, uh, the head coach mm. of the Nets. Chris yeah. Mannix of The Vertical had a really good interview with him the other day, and I want to read one quote from him because, you know, as a Sixers fan, I have kind of been through the last three, prior to this season, the, the last three years were very much similar to what Atkinson is going through now. Um, and he told Mannix, quote, I look at it like I deserve to start at the bottom. This is how it should be. I shouldn't be handed some prime job. This fits. It should be, I think, a guy like me that's got to pr- a lot to prove. I deserve this to start at the bottom. I really believe that I have to pay my dues, and it's great. It's funny the situation we are in without our picks. We never use that as, as a crutch. We never talk about the past. We're talking about getting better in the here and now and getting better in the future. That's the only talk that's around here. We've completely put the past in a box and are focused on moving forward. You know, I've been, since they brought Sean Marks in as their general manager, I've been, I'd say, surprisingly high on the Nets' long-term prospects. Uh, I saw a Twitter debate the other day about who's, you know, who do you have more faith in, the Nets or the Knicks moving forward? And it's like, well, the Knicks have Kristaps, and they have, you know, they have their picks for, I think, both of the next two seasons, whereas the Nets have neither of those things. But because of the organizational cohesion at top, because of Sean Marks, because of Kenny Atkinson, because they're on the same page, because they have embraced a long-term rebuild, I have more faith in the Nets. And I think, you know, it's got, these next few seasons for the Nets are going to suck. There's no way around it. That Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett trade, I mean, it killed them. For, it's going to put their franchise back a full decade because you just can't give up that much draft capital and have nothing in return for it. That said, you know, Marks has been really savvy about picking up young guys uh, who in creative ways. And I think he'll continue doing that this summer and Atkinson to his credit, you know, he's staying positive. He's staying focused. He knows it's going to be rough. He's not, he's not playing veterans over the young guys. He knows what is the organizational priority. So that Mannix interview, you know, I just kept having flashbacks of Brett Brown's first season with the Sixers. And I really think Nets fans, I know it's been a tough year, you know next year might not be much better but you do have a lot to look forward to as long as those two guys are in charge so kudos to frankly kudos to Mikhail Prokhorov for realizing the reality of his situation and agreeing to this long-term plan and bringing in the right guys to execute it yeah there's an owner in Sacramento who could learn a lot (laughs) yeah right exactly yeah (laughs) well hopefully not because we after them like there's not really a dumb general manager left to trade with. I guess we haven't really seen Magic in action. We could, you know, maybe maybe he does. Magic, Magic is going to surround himself by people who are smarter than him and who can say no, which yeah. I like. So yeah. I'm not, I'm actually not really that nervous anymore about Magic. I was, I was worried about him putting in yes men for the jobs, but he's not. So yeah, I think he's going to do all right. But that's that's a good point, Brian. Who is like yeah. remaining <laughs> weirdo GM? No. If you if you disclude Lottie. Right. You need someone to strip all of their assets away. So Yeah. At least we've well, got the king still. Yeah, Gar's close. <laughs> they don't make moves. 
<laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. And when they do, they're stupid. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So that will wrap things up this week for the NBA podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. All three of our Twitter handles are in the bio, so give us a follow as well. You can check us out on iTunes. We'd love it if you subscribe, download, leave us some reviews. Uh, and you can follow us also on FanRag Sports at FanRag Sports on Twitter and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Until next time, I was Brian Tapork and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Have a good one, you two. Take care, fellas. Take care, guys. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.